Sidekick is live. We're back. It is Thursday, February 16th, the year of our Lord, 2023. Let me give you some hard and fast advice from Meemaw. If your athletic director is quoting James Earl Jones, you got a problem 100% of the time. We're jam-packed. We're high atop a suddenly clearing downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I think conference expansion is imminent again. You call it realignment. I call it expansion. Either way, it's a mess. And I think that the volcano is starting to show signs of coming to life. And Colin's Linda Hamilton, and I'm Pierce Brosnan, and we're sitting here waiting for it to blow. And so we're going to talk about that tonight. I've got to talk to you about the uh, situation, conundrum, dare I say, at Notre Dame. They have an offensive coordinator now. It's not necessarily the one we thought it was going to be, because I thought it was going to be the guy that Marcus Freeman had seated directly to his left at a basketball game. Not so much. And what did I mean by this James Earl Jones nonsense to start the show? It's not nonsense. James Earl Jones is a folk hero. In fact, he's just a universal hero. But I've got the quotes in front of me, so I'll make all that make sense in due time. I've got about like 20 or 30 names that I've narrowed down to eight that I want to present to you on the show tonight as maybe, just maybe, our next stars in college football. Really good piece on 247sports.com on the main page right now about that. And I want to kind of springboard off of it, if you will. Also, I'm going to take you back in time a little ways tonight. We're going to go all the way back to 1992, but trust me, children, even if you weren't alive back then, there are some very, very pertinent things that happened in 1992 that directly impact your, impact your life today. And also, I'm going to go to 2014, not nearly that long ago, but what happened that year? That was when we finally got, yes, a college football playoff. And what would happen if we didn't have one, what would happen? Let's just speculate wildly amongst ourselves. They're watching us in Bradenton, Florida. Uh, Cabot, Arkansas is tuned in. Rockford, Illinois tuned in. Costa Mesa, California. We appreciate you guys so much. I've heard the rumors. You've heard the rumors. Well, at least some of you have. I'm about to, I'm about to echo them if you have not heard the rumors. There are rumors floating around the internet that we are going to be on another show sometime next week. And it is a show that is at least co-hosted by one of our bigger rivals around here. You call him that. I just call him another person. There are like 8 billion of them on the planet. And uh, that's about as specific as I'd like to get. I'll leave it up to them to confirm it and promote it. But yes, I have been in talks, shall we say, with another entity out there that hails from Manhattan and more details on the Sunday show, I guess. Let's dive into tonight's show, though. Boy, we got a lot of different angles that we're going. Immunity. And the first place that I want to go, Colin, here's your end point. I want to talk to you about conference expansion tonight, conference realignment. You know, that stuff that we spent the entirety of last spring and summer discussing instead of actual football. I still believe that Kirby Smart used this to his advantage because no one talked about Georgia after they had won a national championship. And I believe that that, combined with them replacing a bunch of starters, allowed complacency never to set in because they didn't get pumped up and therefore all of a sudden Georgia's back in the championship game again and they're as hungry as ever. Anyway, that's a side theory that I have. But the main event right now is I think about to happen again. College football realignment, conference expansion, I've been beating this drum for a little while, I never stopped beating the drum, is not done. You saw the Big Ten make some moves. Famously, we were out in Los Angeles at Elite 11 this past summer, and we wake up and we think it's going to be a day that we spend talking about Jackson Arnold or Dante Moore, these high-profile quarterbacks, and it was that, but only after we talked about USC and UCLA getting poached by then the Kevin Warren-led Big Ten. And the SEC had made their moves with Texas and OU. Anyway, I backstory it in case you're brand new to the party here to say some people out there maybe weren't dumb enough. They were just hopeful enough. They were hoping against hope and praying every night that that was it and that the expansion and movement was done. You know better than that. You, I know better than that. So I know you know better than that. It's not done. And so the volcano never became dormant. And sure enough, there are signs of life. There are earthquakes, little steam spouting out of it. I've seen Dante's Peak. So I know exactly how this happens. And if you haven't, I would encourage you to watch it. Related note, you can just Wikipedia Mount St. Helens and learn exactly what you're learning Dante's Peak. It's coming. It is going to happen. I am wagging my pen, my Max Preps pen at you right now. It's going to happen. 
and there are a lot of telltale signs that it is very, very imminent. So right now, there's a lot going on in college football that seems like it's all over the place. And it is my job humbly tonight to bring it all into focus for you because this stuff is not detached. One thing is not separate from the other. For instance, the Pac-12 trying to secure a media rights deal right now where they can actually have their games on TV has everything in the world to do with the Big 12 and whether or not they may poach some of your programs. Yes, those things are related. And I've also got a very, very wild theory that I want to float you in just a second. But the Big 12 smells blood. So you would think in the old world, if Oklahoma and Texas had just announced they were going to leave a year ahead of schedule, you would think that would leave the Big 12 reeling, right? Well, this is not the old world. You would be right in the old world, but this is not the old world anymore. This is Brett Yormark's new age Big 12. And so they almost kind of pushed OU and Texas out the door. They said, if you're going to leave, leave early. Let us get some money for you. Bye. Bye. And then the very next breath was spent talking amongst themselves in the Big 12 about who they were going to go get and be very aggressive in doing so. That's why, for instance, on this show, not exclusively here, but on this show, we've spent a lot of time talking about the Four Corners schools, the Arizona schools, Utah, Colorado, and those are just thought to be some of the programs that the Big 12 may poach if they go after them. Now, as you know, and as I know, because we've watched this together, a lot of times what ends up happening comes out of left field. Because there are very few people in the room, and they don't talk a whole lot. And if they are talking, sometimes it's to intentionally mislead members of the media so they can have a shiny object we're all looking at over here, and then they can work in silence and secrecy over there. And I get it. I'd be the same way. So those are just theories. Those four corner schools, those are just theories. But the Pac-12 felt it necessary to put out a statement very recently, like in the last few days. It's one of those hey, kumbaya, we're all in this together. You know, we're going we're to hold the line. We're going to keep our arms locked, which, which always happens right before disaster. Uh, that's like the mayor of the town saying, all's well and good. Earthquakes happen all the time. Guys, we, we live on the base of a big volcano. It happens all the time. It's just geological phenomena. Don't get worked up. Leave town. Evacuate when the mayor says that. Again, if you've seen Dante's Peak, you know what's coming. So then the second thing that's happening right now is that media rights fiasco out West. And if you live in Atlanta, Georgia, you may not be paying a lot of attention to this, but I got nothing better to do. So I've been paying attention to it because it's all interlocked. Whether the Pac-12 gets a media deal or not has a lot to do with the ACC. It's just, it's a great big domino effect. So they're having trouble right now. And it's not that these networks don't want to air Pac-12 games. It's just that they don't think Pac-12 games, minus USC and UCLA in a couple of years, are worth nearly what the conference is asking for. Simple supply and demand. And that's a big problem. Because we have powers that be in, again, a related topic that are creating a college football playoff in the future that's going to be 12 teams. And you're going to have six of the highest rated conference champs in that playoff. And right now, I mean, you're kind of trying to convince yourself still that we live in this world where all the Power Five conferences are roughly equal. Never, it was never really thought of that way, but we're still trying to pretend like we're going to live in a world where, hey, if you win the Pac-12, that, that's kind of congruent with someone winning the SEC, someone winning the Big Ten. In reality, I think you and I both know that's not exactly where we're trending, but we're trying to pretend. We're trying to at least maintain that facade or facade, as Kevin Hart would say. And it's really hard to convince the general public that your conference champion is equal to my conference champion when your conference isn't even attractive or appealing enough to get a media rights deal signed. And this is college football. This isn't lacrosse we're trying to sell. All due respect to lacrosse. I find it entertaining to watch. Uh, the general population does not. Therefore, the media rights deal for lacrosse, they don't go nearly as far. Uh, this is college football. And they can't get a media rights deal secured. Now, that leads one to believe that if you are Arizona or Arizona State or Washington or the like, and you're looking at the relative state of flux that your conference is in, you don't know the future out there. You do know the future in the Big 12 because they have their media rights deal secured. They got out ahead of the Pac-12 in line, and they did so. Obviously, the Big 10 and the SEC are set for 10 lifetimes. The ACC is an entirely different conversation. But if you're one of those member institutions, if Pate State, and we're an independent, but if Pate State was in the Pac-12, 
if if George Klykoff came to me and said, hey, can I make a statement that says we're all together? I'd say, yeah, but we're not. And that would be the long and short of it. And that's about what I made of that statement they put out the other day. If you can't guarantee me that I'm going to be getting a slice of a pie that's big enough in media rights three or four years down the road, why in the world am I going to lock arms with you right now? I'm not paid, by the way, to look out for the best interest of the Pac-12. If I'm a member institution or the president or the chancellor or the, the AD there, I'm, I'm paid to look out for the best interest of my program. And so, yeah, I'm going to listen to the Big 12, a conference that stands on much more stable ground than me in the future if they call. I'd love to get it worked out out here. I don't want to leave the Pac-12, but if worse comes to worse, I'm going to. So anyway, something's going to happen there. There are far too many things in play for it not to happen. And I don't just look at the Big 12. You may have noticed. Yesterday, I think it was, Ohio State and Washington canceled a home and home in the future. I read the statements. I heard everything that was said. I don't think that's all there is to it. I think there's a reasonable chance that there are people either at Washington or at Ohio State or in the Big Ten or all of the above that understand maybe there's a half decent chance Washington's in the Big Ten by the time that we were going to play these games. We just had a case study on this, guys. We just saw Georgia forced to cancel their series with Oklahoma. Well, it turns out there was a good reason why that happened. We just didn't necessarily get it disseminated to us at the time. But in due time, we did get it disseminated to us that, yeah, that happened because they're coming down here a year early. Could that happen with Washington? And even if that's not related, even if it just so happens Ohio State didn't feel like traveling out there and they already think their schedule's too loaded, there's still too much other circumstantial evidence here. Now, I told you I had a wild theory. And I've bounced this off a few people in the media industry. I even bounced it off management today because we have management here that used to work in the Pac-12 network, by the way. So there are opportunities in college sports right now, in college football in particular, that exist that didn't exist a generation ago or even five years ago. One of them that I'm surprised more people haven't taken advantage of is you could indirectly buy a college football team right now. And the way you do that is very simple. You just bankroll the NIL structure. Ruiz at Miami is kind of doing a version of this, but you could bankroll the NIL structure and NIL mechanism of a team and essentially own the team. You know, you can't get your foot in the door. You can't own an NFL franchise. You can't own an NBA franchise or Major League Baseball because it's really hard to do. Go buy you a college football team. But there's something bigger in play. And I think the Pac-12's current desperate situation and their lack of a big-time media rights partner is ripe for a third party and it could be an investment group, or it could be an Elon Musk type out there that just has deep enough pockets to come in and say, I got that kind of money. They won't give you $300 million, but I got $300 million. And if I run JP Entertainment, for example, I may have a vested interest beyond what any network would have in bankrolling you. And I come in and I say ESPN or Fox or CBS may not be willing to play ball with you to that degree, but I will. Here's 300 mil, and I've got them standing right behind me because if I were to broker this deal, I've already got the television partner in my back pocket. And I look at ESPN, and I say, hey, you guys want these games for pennies on the dollar? Of course they do. Of course they They want to air the games. Don't get them wrong. They want to air the games. They just don't want to pay the kind of price tag that the Pac-12 wants. But I could because I have ulterior motives. You know what I want to do? I want to own a conference. I want to own a college football conference. I want to slap my naming rights, whatever. It could be Walmart. It could be Aflac. It could be JP Inc. It could be anything in between. But someone who would stand to benefit from brokering that kind of deal and writing that kind of check, because in return, it is a massive West Coast marketing tool. It is a marketing tool, the likes of which we've never really seen anyone seek their teeth into. Someone could do that, and they could do it for relatively cheap right now. If you wanted to do that, well, you could never do it with the SEC or Big Ten because their inventory is valuable enough where no one has to come in and third-party broker any deal. But the Pac-12's got a gulf, and the gulf is between what they want in order to survive in Major League College football and what anyone's willing to pay. But if I come in and I value the marketing mechanism that this allows me to open up for my brand, my company, etc., it makes all the sense in the world. Let me ask you a question. Why do you know Mark Cuban? Could, could those of you, 95% of you, could you tell me how he made his money? Or could you tell me he owns the Dallas Mavericks? 
You, you see how Mark Cuban was able to parlay that into broad-scale marketing of his brand? You may have looked when, when Cuban bought the Mavs and said, boy, that's a lot of money. Yeah, it was. How much would he have had to spend to market himself and any kind of branding sub to himself that he actually gets for free as a result of owning the Dallas Mavericks? So that's a little forward thinking, and it is broad in scale. I believe somebody could do that right now. A lot of hurdles, a lot of hoops to jump through, but there's enough desperation in the room where someone could execute that or a group of someones could execute that. Now, for the record, I just told you JP Inc. JP Inc. does not exist yet. Uh, we've got a couple of more rounds of funding to go before we can acquire and secure the $300 million price point that I threw out there. So for now, you know, could be one week, could be two weeks until we get there. But for now, that's strictly hypothetical. So I am ready to announce tonight I will not own the Pac-12, but somebody could. And I've already got Pac-12 paid trademarks, so somebody could. And then just loop me in on it afterwards. So yeah, uh, conference realignment is coming, and uh, there are going to be a lot of other dominoes fall. So let's see how that works out. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Notre Dame's not in a conference, but we're going to talk about them right now. The chalice is unusually full because I, I put something in the Instagram story earlier and accidentally overfilled the chalice in the process. Thank you uh, for, for allowing me the time to take the sip there. Thank you for being tuned in live if you're tuned in. Okay, so let me, let me I've done, I hadn't done this in a while. The, the paper pop has become the knuckle pop. It's easier on the joints to do it that way, but the Notre Dame offensive coordinator hire has led to a ton of questions. Again, if you live in Tallahassee, Florida, or Baton Rouge, Louisiana, you may not have been paying attention to this. Interesting things. Eh, if you're at LSU, you probably have been paying attention. I know you guys. But general population of college football fans may be a little tuned out on this. Tune in, because it's gotten a little messy, and it's led to just some, let me reach over here and get it, just some, some phenomenal quotes offered up that I'm going to give you in just a second. So I got questioned about this thousands of times today. And I opened like a hundred of them, which led me to believe, yeah, we need to talk about this on tonight's show. So it's led to the athletic director making a statement. And before I even dive into the particulars, congratulations to Notre Dame fans. You forced a statement from Jack Schwarberg in the middle of February. They don't like to do that. They typically like to operate unquestioned. And that's not how this went down. So what's been happening up there? Little backstory, if you've been on vacation, Nick Saban hired Tommy Reese. That was Marcus Freeman's offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. And so obviously there's an opening for the job at Notre Dame. And Andy Ludwig looked to be the hire. And I'm going to tell you why he looked to be the hire. Because when a guy actually flies to campus, which Ludwig did, he's the Utah offensive coordinator, by the way. When he flies to South Bend, Indiana, across two time zones on a private jet, and is publicly seen with Marcus Freeman, I believe at the basketball game, that's usually called a formality. You know, the signing of the contract, it's usually a formality. It's usually a done deal. How many times have you seen a coach and a prospective coaching hire publicly parade themselves around? This was not a four-star recruit on campus. This was a potential offensive coordinator hire. Well, that led a lot of people, myself included, to believe, okay, well, that's done. And quite frankly, I stopped paying attention. And then all of a sudden you hear, wait, that's not going down. Our friends over at irishillustrated.com, they're reporting, nope, turns out it's not going to be Ludwig. What in the world's happening? You know, and then you start to have multiple different theories floated out there. And there was a lot of oxygen in the room because no one at Notre Dame was talking. And I'll get to that in just a second. So anyway, here's how it ended. And subsequently how it began. They promoted Gerard Parker, the tight end coach. That, as of yesterday has been finalized. So he is the offense coordinator. 
Now, it didn't pass the smell test, nor should it have, for a lot of Notre Dame fans, because typically, when you say you're going to have a national search for a coordinator, you don't promote from within. That's just typically the way that doesn't go. And yet it went that way. I want to pause for just a second, and I want to tell you, I'm not about to spend a nanosecond of this show questioning the qualifications and credentials of Gerard Parker. That's not what I'm going to do, because I'm not qualified to do it. And I'm also not going to sit here and suggest to you it won't work out because I don't have a crystal ball and I work at 24-7. So if anyone had wanted to be me, I'm not here to do that. What I am here to do is ask you, does that smell right? And Notre Dame fans have been asking themselves the same thing. Now, again, in the past few hours, we've had the AD go on record. And so everything I'm about to say, remember that because we rarely print stuff out. I had to print the quotes out. So I got the quotes. But what happened here? There's several possibilities, okay? The, the first one is maybe Andy Ludwig just toured Notre Dame and met with Marcus Freeman, and then he ultimately turned the job down, which for the record is what Notre Dame would lead you to believe. It's possible. I don't find that likely without any caveats involved there, but it's possible. I'll grant you that. Now, the going theory as of the past 24 to 48 hours had been Notre Dame wouldn't pay the buyout. And the buyout was over $2 million. Here's the thing about that buyout. It was well known before he flew to campus. And so you can understand and excuse Notre Dame fans for dismissing the notion that, oh, oh no, the buyout had nothing to do with it. Well, either it didn't have anything to do with it, or you got him all the way to campus before you realized what his buyout was. Either way, it's bad. The third possibility is you're just too cheap to pay it, which is also bad, and therefore you never should have flown him to campus to begin with. There is this other working theory. I would say it's a minority theory, but it's still a theory. And that is, hey, maybe Marcus Freeman knew what the buyout was and knew Notre Dame wasn't going to fit the bill for it, but he really wanted Andy Ludwig. And he thought, hey, if I get him over here, just the public spectacle of me and him at a basketball game will be too much. And someone will pony up the dough. And then it turned out they didn't. So anyway, all that's been floating around. And it, it just, it festered and it festered and it festered. And all of a sudden, Jack Swarbrick today, in the last few hours, felt the need to come out and make a statement. And he capped this statement by suggesting that Anyone who is passionate about such things should um, donate to the collective up there, donate to the uh, general fund there at Notre Dame, which is brilliant. I mean, it's a double middle finger to your face, but if you can get past that, it's brilliant. So Jack Swarbrick's not, a, he's kind of a, he's, he, he went a little heel at the end of this. I'm not going to read that part, so I wanted to tell you that's in here. Um, this is the Notre Dame athletic director. General rule of thumb, again, as Meemaw said, if your athletic director's ever having to resort to quoting James Earl Jones in Field of Dreams, you got a problem. And that's exactly what Jack Swarbrick did. Quote to Notre Dame fans, we admire your passion, misdirected though it may be, it is still a passion, to quote James Earl Jones in Field of Dreams. You remember that. I wish I had your passion, Ray. Misguided though it may be, it is still a passion. I used to feel that way about things, but... That's the direction the Notre Dame athletic director chose to go to start his statement. It continues, page two here. I am comfortable sharing that while, prior to this week, our discussions with candidates never reached the point where we extended a formal offer, we communicated clearly with each and every instance that any offer we made would include funding of the buyout. So, translation, not that you need one. Sometimes I have to translate for myself. We told any guy we interviewed, buyout's not going to be a problem. The statement continues. To the extent the buyout was an obstacle in this case, that was true of a brief period of time, only because of conflicting information that had been provided to us regarding the amount of mechanics of the buyout. However, it was an obstacle we knew could be quickly resolved. So Jack Swarbrick essentially has just told you, after quoting Field of Dreams, he told you the buyout was never going to be an issue. The only way it was an obstacle was that there were some things we misunderstood about the buyout, but don't worry, we, we parsed right through that because that's how we roll, and we're rich. We're rich. We would have paid anything that it took. It sounds like he's telling me Andy Lug would just turn him down, just didn't want the job. Do you believe it? He's never lied to me. Jack Swarbrick's never lied to me. Then again, we've never had a face-to-face -face conversation. Do we believe it? Do we buy it? I have taken a very quick straw poll of my Notre Dame brethren, 
And uh, the iJosh leans heavily no, they don't buy it. Or at least they don't buy that that's all there is to it. You know what I would pay, not, not $2.3 million for, but you know what I would pay a lot of money for? I would pay a lot of money if Marcus Freeman would walk in here right now and then Director Colin would walk in with the truth serum and Marcus would go, yep, inject me, boom. And he just has to be honest. Because I would look at Marcus Freeman and I would say, tell me how this went down. And I, I, I know that there are a few truths in this world, but I don't think what came out of Marcus Freeman's mouth would echo what just came out of his athletic director's mouth. That is my strong hunch that I can't prove. So until I can prove it, I'm going to err on the side of, we're going to go with the Field of Dreams quoting athletic director, Jack Swarbrick. But I will say this. I had someone earlier today ask me on Twitter, what do you think about this thing? And I said, it's a proud program with a poverty approach to hiring a coach. Now, some people took that to mean, oh, he just thinks Notre Dame's cheap. Well, if you wouldn't pay the buyout, yeah, it means you're cheap. I don't care how much it was. It wasn't $10 million, so I don't care how much it was. And you especially don't fly a guy in if you're not willing to pay the buyout. Now, AD says, nope, that's not the case. We would have paid the buyout. Poverty doesn't just mean you are shortchanging yourself or your head coach. It doesn't just mean you won't come off your hip pocket or you don't have the money. Poverty sometimes is just a colossal fumbling of a situation. Stupidity. Ignorance, in other words. And that somehow, some way, I think happened here. Problem is, the same folks who say, well, you shouldn't go out talking about things or reporting things until you have all the facts are the last ones to give you the real facts. They'll give you some of them. They'll give you the facts necessary to make themselves look okay. But they're probably not going to give you every detail. Now, in fairness, they don't owe it to you. Although I would argue in a broad sense in college football, it's kind of dumb how many details are withheld from the public. It's not Congress. This, this is, it's, it's college football. It's entertainment. And so your job as, as an athletic director, for example, kind of exists, and this is extending beyond Swarbrick, it kind of exists because entertainment exists. Sure, you'd still have a job. You wouldn't make the money you do. And so because of that, sometimes I, I find it kind of odd, this feeling, the need to withhold information from the public. Like, really? Honestly, at the end of the day, how much damage is it going to do that uh, Gary, Indiana residents know the inner workings of how the hiring process went down? Like, really, what would that hurt? So, again, I, I just use Schwarbrick as a, an example there because I get aggravated at that with a lot of programs. And there, there's, there's this veil of secrecy, which, which leaves you because you care about the sport and you're not going to tune out. Just because they say it's none of your business, it leaves you to speculate. And then they get mad when you speculate. You can tell from firsthand experience I'm speaking about this. Because I have had uh, cordial, knock-down, drag-out arguments with certain SIDs about this. You'll say something. They, they won't feed you anything. But you say something about their program on the show because there's an absence of information. And your phone's going off. I've had it multiple times happen in the past month. Phone's going off before I'm off the air. And the SID wants to, how, how could you be saying that? How could I? Well, uh, did you correct me beforehand? Did you, did you offer me anything up beforehand? And they'll give you details you couldn't possibly have known. That's why I'm always very careful not to make definitive statements. A lot of you think I'm fence riding. No, because there's an absence of complete information. That's like right now, someone could come to me and say, well, what if, what if Gerard Parker works out? Great. What if he does? doesn't really mean anything. doesn't change anything. Is it a sustainable model that you continue to not be able to land option A? And you can, you can ascribe the reasons why you don't think option A was landed, but that's, you know, that's, that's just life, I guess, in our world. And Marcus Freeman's world right now. Academy Sports and Outdoors looks outside right now and they have to drool when they see that, yeah, it's February, and we're about two weeks away from that calendar rolling over to March. And that basically means spring, because spring starts in March. And that means every sport imaginable, outside of ice hockey, is about to be able to be played outdoors right after you go to Academy, or Academy.com. And apparently, some of you have really taken into cycling, because I have had an inordinate amount 
of pictures and or videos sent to me recently of you guys biking on equipment that was recently purchased from Academy Sports and Outdoors. So, hey, I can happily confirm for you on this Thursday evening, they got bikes at Academy and they are ready to ride. That's not all they have, though. Bats, gloves, baseball pants, you know, that time of year. It's coming up, softball and the like. They got you covered at Academy Sports and Outdoors, and they've got the show covered, and that's why you did not pay a dime to watch this thing tonight. There is no paywall. Uh, We don't have to use things like Patreon. We don't have to hide the content, and it's a blessing that we don't have to do that because we have partners like Academy. So we really appreciate them always being on board and always having our backs. We've got many, many more angles to take you tonight. I appreciate you being tuned in. If you will, like the video and subscribe to the channel. And I don't care what order you do it in. Just please do both of them. If you're listening on podcast, hey, man, you need to be following and subscribing there, too, because as you know, it is late kick extra season. It is not off season ever, ever, ever. But it is late kick extra season. That means there's a show dropping in that feed every Tuesday that you can only get your hands on if you're following the podcast feed. It doesn't show up on YouTube. It's just the podcast feed. Now, someone came at me the other day and said, why would you do that? Why would you put some things in the YouTube channel and put some things in the podcast feed? And to that, I reply, we have a crazy little scheme around here to turn a profit. And that's our reason. The end. Shame on us, but it's not a soup kitchen we're running over here. I mean, Director Colin, at the end of the day, he's got to put gas in his car just like us. So we got to find ways to make it happen. Who are the next stars in this sport? Who are you about to see in 2023? David asked earlier today, which players are you expecting to break out this fall from Decatur, Georgia? I got so many of them. And it was a really, uh, I guess, good timing that David asked this question because on 247sports.com, I think even right now, there's an article where a lot of our guys outlined several and I cherry picked some of theirs and added in some of my own. Don't you have to start this conversation at Penn State? You could go Kalen King if you wanted to, but I, I go Drew Aller. Because Kalen King, I think, is already on the radar. The corner could very well be the best in the country this upcoming year. Drew Aller, the quarterback, though, this is a potential turning point for this program. You know, Drew Aller, not a true freshman. He came in as a five-star quarterback, highest-rated signee at that position that James Franklin and his staff have had. And he's 6'5", 238, really big kid, sharp, got all the physical tools. That's why they put five of those stars next to his name. Didn't have to start right away. He played a little bit in his freshman season, but didn't have to start right away. And he's got an incredibly loaded roster around him. So I I know there's no sure thing. I'm not calling Drew Aller a sure thing. I'm just saying if I picture how this season's going to go, not being able to project injuries, of course. So if he's healthy all year, thinking about how this season could go, there are several more scenarios where he ends up shining in his first year as a starter, then he just disappoints and doesn't live up to expectation. I don't think the bust potential is very high with him. Also, speaking of the quarterback position, a name that I think out of the eight names I'm going to mention here, I think a name that's as well known on this list as any is Cade Klubnik, but yet he hasn't really gotten time to shine yet. So that's the quarterback at Clemson. That's the future. That's the guy they've been looking towards. And DJ Uyangalale transferred out, so it's 100% Cade Klubnik time now. He played a little bit last year, and it was kind of a weird situation. So anyway, job's his now. Number two quarterback in the 2022 class, 6'2", 195, and he gets Garrett Riley as his offensive coordinator, who just came in from TCU. And I always think in my mind, yeah, we're tuned in, and most of our audience is tuned in to college football, and you never tune out. But someone could have been on their honeymoon recently. Someone could have been going through challenging times in their life recently, and you just haven't had time for college football. So if that's the case, hate it for you. We're thinking about you. Welcome back. What if I told you that TCU's offensive coordinator went to Clemson? Like that's still news to some people. And I have to remind myself of that sometimes. So that's a godsend, obviously, for Kate Klubnik and the, the entire offensive roster there at Clemson. And uh, that's, that's going to be a program this year where even though they won the ACC championship, you know what the overall narrative is around Clemson. They're slipping. They're down a little bit. I may have contributed to that, although I don't think they're slipping nearly as much as some of you do, judging by my inbox. But So let's go the two quarterbacks there. Now, 
I'm going to throw a name at you that I think far fewer of you are familiar with, uh, not including those of you up in Muncie, Indiana, and that would be former Ball State running back Carson Steele. Sometimes I think parents are having kids and naming them specifically with a future in football in mind because it does not get much better than Carson Steele. General booty notwithstanding, it doesn't get much better than Carson Steele. If you're, if you're a degenerate and you love Mac football on Tuesday and, and Tuesdays and Wednesday nights, Maction, as we call it on the streets, you've seen him play. But he's gone to UCLA now, so a lot more people are going to see him play. He had 1,556 yards, 14 touchdowns, about 5.4 and a half yards per carry this past year. The important part is he, he led FBS, I think. He was number one overall in college football in yards after initial contact. So you were used to seeing Zach Charbonnet shine at UCLA last year, and he was a transfer in his own right. This is the next one, pretty much the same size, 6'1", about 215, flowing locks. They'll, they'll easily extend beyond the helmet, so very marketable look there, and I, I know how much you guys care about that. Carson Steele, I continue to tell you, I think the game is coming back to Chip Kelly with the way that he can just go out and acquire talent via the portal Game's coming back to him. Tennessee's got a wide receiver that I just talked about marketable names. Squirrel White's a really good one as well. And Squirrel White is probably about as poised to step into that Jalen Hyatt role as anyone on that roster. Had good numbers last year, really good numbers in the Clemson game. In the bowl game, had uh, nine catches, 108 yards, had a touchdown, and that concluded his true freshman season. A little bit different body type than Hyatt. Can still run as fast as Jalen Hyatt. He's 5'10", 165, probably a little more shifty, but he's a guy who put up the kind of numbers the year before I think he's going to explode that Jalen Hyatt did. Hyatt exploded this past year. You look at his numbers the year before, kind of similar to what Squirrel Whites were. And in the SEC, I don't want to just stay in Knoxville, although I think that the quarterback position is going to dominate spring ball conversation. Squirrel White is probably going to dominate regardless of who the quarterback is on the field this fall. There's another wide receiver in the SEC named Malik Neighbors down at LSU. And I, I don't think a lot of people realize he was, a thousand yard, he was on a thousand yard receiver this past year. I just, I just don't think a lot of people remember that. 72 catches, just over a thousand yards receiving, and he's an excellent 50-50 ball guy. Contested catch rate was 62% for him last year. So he is a guy that will go and fight for the ball. Really good at that. Year two, you got that whole deal going for you, regardless of what position you play at LSU. I could just as easily have thrown Mason Smith in this. He's the big defensive tackle that went down against FSU in week one, poised for a big year. So just take what you said about him last year and fast forward to this year. But yeah, Malik Neighbors and Swore White love how both of those guys project this year. What about Georgia? Michael Williams. Hardaway High School's Michael Williams. Most of you didn't grow up in Columbus, Georgia. I did. Carver, Central, just across the river in Phoenix City. Uh, Shaw, Harris County High School, just north of town. Yeah, they'll put guys in Power 5 leagues. Hardaway, bless their hearts, not so much. Except that they may have the best defensive lineman in the country that just so happens to hail from Hardaway High School. Go Hawks. And um, it's his time at Georgia. Now, had 28 tackles, four and a half sacks this past year. He had a lot of impressive numbers, played 291 snaps. So when you combine the numbers he put up with understanding how many snaps he played, you realize they've just got another one, don't they? Yes. Yes, they've actually got a few of them. That's how Georgia rolls. Michael Williams is just one of them. Really, really good player that probably is only going to get better because that's also the way Georgia has rolled. That's not a place right now that's struggling in the developmental department. That's not a place where a kid shines as a true freshman and then you watch him as sophomore and junior years and you say, well, he just kind of was the same player. Nope. There's, there's a linear, kind of a linear progression. Year one, year two, year three. Uh, that's when you know your program's humming. Dallas Turner over at Alabama. Not that you don't already know the name, but Will Anderson's out the door. And so that was Will Anderson's contract year this past year. He's going to be a top 10 draft pick. Now Dallas Turner gets his contract year. 
And I have a strange suspicion Dallas Turner will end up being a top 10 draft pick. His average pressure rate was about every eight and a half pass rush snaps per game last year. So I know as a defensive hole, uh, they kind of underachieved there. Dallas Turner's a phenomenal player. Got a new defensive staff pretty much over there this year. Dallas Turner, I'm not going to waste a lot of time on him because we already know his name. But Will Johnson at Michigan is one other name that I wanted to mention. 6'2", 194. He's a corner who didn't start right away in his true freshman year. I believe last year was his true freshman year. He didn't start right away, except he ended up starting later in the year. You know, he played the Ohio State game. He played in the Big Ten Championship game. He played against TCU. He had two picks, gave up no touchdowns, gave up one catch of 20 or more yards. Really good. Prototype corner. Uh, a lot of the NFL folks already talk about him, and that's just from that very limited sample size of game tape. Like I had guys who, who work in the NFL scouting world for a living saying, we're not really scouting him for next year because he's not available to come out for the draft, but he's one that when we're watching other guys, we just happen to see the Johnson kid from Michigan. Yep, I think we'll be saying that a lot about him this year. They're watching us in Nova Scotia. Maybe Halifax? I don't know, but Nova Scotia. They're watching us in Elmira, New York, and Cahaba Heights, Alabama. Thank you guys, wherever you are tuned in so much. Because that's the reason we do the show, obviously. Uh, one of the exercises that we have delved into here lately is we have started to just irresponsibly change history. Just go back and change things about the history of the sport. And I challenged you the other day. I said, give me some stuff. Give me some moments in college football that if you could change them would just send a shockwave through the rest of the sport for several years. Colin, here's a better endpoint for you. What, what would you change about this sport? If you could go back in college football and I challenged you, change something that would have a massive, far-reaching impact on the rest of the sport then and in the future, what would it be? And I had Yogi Roth, actually, from Pac-12 Network come at me and say, here's one. What if that moment where we instituted the college football playoff just never happened? What if that never went down? And I got to thinking about it, and I almost didn't put it in the show, but then the more I thought about it, the more I said, absolutely, that's got to go in the show. Now, it happened in 2014. The first year of the playoff was 2014. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and I said, that all-SEC championship game in 2011 was probably the impetus for us getting the playoff when we got it. Would we have gotten it anyway? I tend to believe yes, but I don't know that for sure. So let's just say in this alternate universe we're allowed to play in because it's February. We don't get the playoff. We never get the playoff. Off the top of my head, we've had three national champions that did not finish number one or number two. So we, we got three of them. 2014 Ohio State, the first year we had a playoff. They were the four seed. They won the championship. 2017 Alabama, four seed, won the championship. 2021 Georgia, three seed, won the championship. Now, initially, when we took on this exercise, I thought to myself, ooh, if we entertain this, I think it's going to cost Alabama some championships. But the more I think about it, the more I think Alabama would have netted more titles if we didn't have a playoff. And the reason is because even though in 2017, they snuck in and ended up winning the whole thing, 2014, Ohio State beat Bama in the semifinal. If Ohio State's not there, if it's just Bama, Oregon, or, or Bama, FSU, whoever it would have been, Bama probably wins that title. They'll certainly be favored to win that title. So you may have another title for them in 14. And in 2021, Bama beats Georgia in Atlanta. Georgia's out. If we don't have a playoff, Georgia's out. So Bama may have won it in 2021. Who knows how that would have worked out. I will tell you that a lot of people would be mad. You know, I, I remember even thinking this when we instituted the playoff. I remember thinking that we would come to the end of every season and some people would be mad, inevitably, because your team got left out and you had a really good season and you finished third or fourth or what have you. And yeah, uh, people got mad. Where I differed from a lot of folks is I didn't think that was the worst thing in the world. People don't get mad about things they don't care about. You know, so I took the, the anger in the room, which always eventually subsided, as 
a means to indicate that, wow, we are maximizing the passion in this sport right now. People being mad was never the worst thing in the world. People being ambivalent, people being apathetic about the majority of bowl season, people opting out of games that weren't playoff games, that is far worse to me than people just being mad. Don't worry, though. It'll all be solved with a 12-team playoff. Don't worry. I'm not going down that road tonight. But I, I started to think if we didn't ever go to the four-team model, people always would have been mad. But no one that I know ever got mad at the outcome of a season and then they left. No one tuned out of college football. No one did. I would argue four more people have tuned out because of the byproducts and the, I guess, consequences of the new model than ever tuned out with the old model. Like Auburn fans think they got screwed out of a shot to play for a title in 2004. Not a single one of them ever tuned out. Not a single one of them. But you fast forward a few years and, and half your team's opting out of a bowl game because it's not a playoff game. That's more likely to make someone lose interest in college football. That's at least my opinion on that. Now, those of us around here, we're not going to stop watching either way. And they know it. They know it. But I started thinking, okay, what if we don't have a four-team playoff? Sure, we'd have some anger and people would yell at each other. Then we'd have bowl season. Then we'd have the national championship game, just like we always did in the BCS. And we'd crown a champion. And we'd go into the next year. And the sport would continue to grow because that's what it already was doing. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. In the aggregate, would anyone have ever started using phrases like meaningless regular season games? Would anyone have started using phrases like meaningless bowl games? For that matter, would we have bowl opt-outs? Because remember, that wasn't a thing a generation ago. That really it didn't exist. It only existed when we got the playoff, and then the huge marketing mechanism was employed behind that playoff, and the who's in era was born for which ESPN has eventually atoned and apologized and realized the error of their ways. And I give them full credit for that, but you can't erase history, obviously. And so you started to beat it in the minds of the fans and of players that these games mean more. Therefore, those games mean less. And eventually people start saying things like, well, those bowl games are meaningless. And all of a sudden the players can't blame them. They started listening. And they said, well, if you guys don't seem to care about these bowl games anymore and you're calling them meaningless, I'm not going to risk my health in there. I'm going to opt out. We didn't make the playoffs. I'm going to opt out. No one did that before. And I wonder, would we have still sort of moved in that direction? Would players have opted out regardless? I don't know that we would have gotten to that point. Who knows? But it's always fun to speculate. So I, will, I will say this, though. I think that there is a growing number of people, because I, I do this periodically. I run a poll. And I asked, all things known now, would you rather have what we have now or would you rather go back to the BCS era? And a little while ago, people scoffed at that notion. No, no, don't ever take me back to the BCS era. At least we have some kind of postseason format now. But then we got a little deeper into it and people started to realize you don't just get the playoff without having consequences to the playoff. And I don't care if you extend it to 12, you're still going to have that. And I think a lot of people started to realize, boy, I miss what bowl season used to mean. And, and I, you know, this dude who wears a white T-shirt every other night of the week on YouTube starts talking about how college football season is supposed to work from the inside out, regular season first, as opposed to pro sports that work from backwards to front. And boy, man, those Saturdays in the fall, you know, that, that, that is pretty special. I, I do feel a different way about regular season college football than I do about the regular season of any other sport. Maybe that's not the craziest thing in the world. And, and that comes from some folks who support playoff expansion. But even in the back of their minds, I've noticed more and more at least, some of them have said, there's, there's something to that. You may not have swayed me, but there's something to that. I don't know where we would have gone. I, I, I still think we eventually would have expanded, even if we didn't in 2014. But whomst knows. I got one more to throw at you after I take a sip from the chalice, of course. This one, this one takes us back a little ways. You know what, you know what I'm going to do, Colin? I'm going to take the unprecedented step of taking a non-branded chapstick brand and just applying some chapstick. You know, you don't want chap lips out here. Come on. Dew point is dropping like a rock outside after the uh, line of storms came through. All right, here we go. Change one moment in the history of college football to have maximum impact. A lot of you predictably 
went all the way back to 1992. Stop. If you're in my college audience, if you're in my high school audience, and you're thinking, this doesn't interest me, I wasn't born yet, learn something. Allow yourself to be educated for just a second. You're already educated enough to find the show. For that, I am thankful. But let me explain to you what the world used to be like. The world, in little JP's day, used to be a lot like this. No conference championship games. They just don't exist. And then all of a sudden, there was one. The SEC got themselves two additional teams, and they had 12, and that was the magic number. And if you got 12 teams, you can have a conference title game. What's a conference title game? That was a popular question around the water cooler back in 1992. And then they found out at Legion Field in Birmingham, Alabama, the Gray Lady, as they call her. Florida is number 11 in the country. They're 8-3. and three. Bama is number 1, or number 2, I think, in the country. They're 11-0. and 0. In previous years, that's the season Bama goes and plays for the national championship game. But in this season, Roy Kramer, who was the SEC commissioner at the time, said, we're going to have ourselves a conference championship game. You're going to play one more game. Everybody hated it. Everybody. The coaches hated it. The member institutions nearly unanimously said, we're going to voluntarily risk knocking one of our teams out of the national championship picture, when the rest of the country is just going to sit back on their couch and watch us? Like, how stupid is this? And it seemed really likely that you may have immediate regrets because the very first year they had the thing, you've got a national championship team in Alabama there, has to go play another game in Birmingham against Steve Spurrier and the Florida Gators. It's 21-21, to 21, three minutes and change to go in the game. And everyone's biting their fingernails. And all of a sudden, Shane Matthews drops back, and he looks right, and he sees a receiver, but Antonio Langham is between himself and the receiver, and Antonio Langham returns it for a touchdown, Bama goes up 28-21, clock runs out, I think that's the final score, so Bama punches their ticket to the national championship game, they drug Miami, they win the whole thing. What if that play didn't happen? And what if Florida just goes down the field, kicks field goal, they end up winning the game? Bama's out of the national championship picture. This has so many far-reaching ramifications, potentially. The first thing you have to ask yourself is, would they have ever played another SEC championship game? Because I know a lot of folks, after it was over and everyone looks like a genius, they can sit back with a cigar in their mouth and said, oh, we were going to play it regardless. You know, it didn't matter how much complaining there was. Well, okay. Find out how real it gets if you do have Florida win this game and Bama doesn't go to the title game, and you cost your conference a shot at a national championship, let's see how steadfast you would have been in that. And then, even if the SEC sticks to their guns, how quickly, or rather how slowly, do you think any other conference would have come around to the idea of having a conference championship game? Because nowadays, you know, like I said, our college audience didn't watch this live. And so you guys are just used to thinking at the end of a regular season, we have conference championship games. Some conferences have had them, done away with them, and then brought them back like the Big 12. But once upon a time, that wasn't the case. What, what you take for granted, what is the constant and always has been in your world, was at one time not at all. And I wonder if we would have seen the proliferation with the ACC and the Big 10 and the Pac-12 and, and well, the Pac-10 at the time and, and the Big 12 and whatnot, would they have adopted that model? Because it still took a little while. I don't know that they would have adopted it so quickly. And uh, it's also interesting to note that the first ones, I think the first one or maybe two, weren't played in Atlanta. They were played over there in Birmingham. And then they went to the Georgia Dome. Rest her soul. And uh, so now all's well that ends well, and the SEC championship is a big spectacle. But I really, I don't know that we would have, that we would have gone down the road. It's almost like we could have been sitting here, Florida won that game, and we're sitting here, what we're, the 30-year anniversary was last year, I think, it could be that that would be this footnote in history, that the SEC tried this thing one year, and it was called a conference championship game. Like 12 games or 11 games weren't enough. They're going to play another game. Because by the way, there were 11 regular season games that year. So they're going to play 11 games, and then they're going to play this 12th game where they voluntarily put their title contender at risk and then the title contender fell, and so they scrapped the idea, and they never did it again. It could be like New Coke. 
the SEC championship game could have ended up being New Coke. And if you, if you really want to throw your mind for a whirl, yeah, if you're in college or, or even, you know, a little bit older than that, go Google New Coke and check out what the fine folks at Coca-Cola once thought it in their best interest to do. When you got the best soft drink formula in the world, what do you want to do? Change the whole thing. When you got the best conference going, what do you want to do? Change the whole thing. Well, it worked out for the SEC. I can't say the same for New Coke. Ever since Atlanta stole Coke, as an idea from Columbus, they were bound to have something like that happen to them. They didn't take Aflac from us, though, nor did they take RC. But be that as it may, Gene Stallings is another name that comes to mind here. You know, Gene Stallings is remembered universally amongst Alabama folks for winning that title, winning that SEC and then national title in 1992. If they lose this game, they don't play for that national championship. And there would be this great big void in Alabama National Championship lore from winning their last one under Bryant in the late 70s to, who knows, I guess Nick Saban still shows up, but you know the butterfly effect. You know the butterfly, the chaos theory. You can't change one thing in the past and expect every other thing to have played out. So who knows? Who's this to say? But I will say, I do not think we would have just happily and merrily trotted along down the road to conference realignment and expansion and conference championship games nearly as fast if Florida had won that game. All right. That, man, I wish, wish we have like an hour. I think, uh, I think SEC Network did a really good documentary on that game. It's just, it's worth your time. It's worth, I think it's an hour. It's worth your time to watch. All right. Uh, I've got, Colin, let me make sure I don't, yeah, okay. I got you in the right order. The last thing I want to do, especially when producer Jesse is out of town, is throw Colin for a loop in there. So it is time. Bold predictions. We are still parsing through these things from last August. What did you say you'd put your money on? And how did it turn out? Well, the first one turned out really, really well. Because the first prediction, the first bold prediction that we're going to revisit tonight is LSU beats Alabama in Tiger Stadium after 12 years. That was made on May 10th, not even August, May 10th in 2022. And it happened. And I put an eight on the boldness scale. And I got mocked. So you know what? Grading on the curve, I am not going to call myself wrong here. I'm going to call the people who mocked me wrong. I had some Bama fans, uh, some of them I'm very close to, by the way, say, what in the world are you talking about? LSU can't beat Alabama in Death Valley. Well, no, they just hadn't in a little while. But they could always do it. And by the way, the reason I only put an eight on it is, number one, I respect that venue. And number two, I had just watched a season where Bama struggled on the road in 2021. They had struggles on the road. And they played for a national title and still struggled on the road. Well, they struggled mightily on the road this past year. This was one of them. They lost to Tennessee as well. Now, they were by a combined four points, but they count. Those are losses. So this one, nail on the head. Bama loses in Death Valley to LSU. I was listening to that game on the radio. And I cannot, for the life of me, remember which game I had been at that day. And I am not going to sit here in dead air for 10 seconds trying to remember it. Anyway, I was not there. Uh, I thought, no, no, never mind, never mind. Moving on. So first prediction hit. The second prediction was never going to hit. The second prediction was J.J. McCarthy is going to lead Michigan back to the playoff and if it stopped there, it would be great. It didn't stop there. And he finishes top five in the Heisman. I put a 9.98 on the boldness rating here. Now, you may think to yourself, ooh, that was a close call because they did make the playoff. It wasn't a close call at all. This was always going to be one or the other. Michigan was never going to make the playoff and J.J. McCarthy be a Heisman finalist. It was, it was going to be one or the other. J.J. McCarthy could throw the ball all over the place enough to warrant Heisman consideration and Michigan probably would have lost two or three games because that was not the formula for them to win this year. I'll tell you truthfully, the prediction would have been better if you said Michigan's going to make the playoff and Blake Corum will be a Heisman contender. Now, he still didn't make it, but th that would have been Michigan's ticket if they were to have had a Heisman finalist on a playoff campaign. I think that's the way it would have gone. Uh, this next one did not hit. And this next one... Had to do with the Big 12, and I gave, this, I gave this a little credence. So I put a 7 on the boldness scale on this one. It was from Will. He said, no Big 12 team will win 10 regular season games. One of them did 
and that was TCU, and they went 12 and 0 regular season. Uh, Kansas State went nine and three regular season. So one of them did. I put a seven on this one only because I thought it could just be a total pinball match the whole year. Anyone could beat anyone, and that is how the season unfolded. Even with TCU, you you may look at this if you were cryogenically frozen in August and you didn't get to watch the season, and you're looking at the graphic on the screen, and it says TCU goes twelve and zero or 9-0 in conference play, 12-0 regular season, you may think to yourself, ooh, there was a dominant team out there. TCU wasn't dominant. They had a lot of close wins. That's exactly how it would have had to have happened. You got to win a whole bunch of close games. And the Big 12 had one team that did that. And ironically, or I guess unironically, they didn't even win the conference title. Still made the playoff and didn't win the playoff game, or actually won a playoff game and then went to the national championship game. So that's, I'll tell you, one of the craziest predictions would have been a Big 12 team makes the national title game without winning their conference title. Now, that one would have gotten a 10 on the boldness scale from me, and we would have had to burn the whole thing down because that actually would have hit. Next up, another little Heisman-flavored prediction here, and it's Georgia-related. So Jeremy said, Kenny McIntosh, running back at Georgia, will be in the Heisman race, and I'll die on that hill. Rest in peace, Jeremy. Kenny McIntosh was nowhere to be found. This is where you walk the disrespect tightrope. You know, like, that's a prediction that's ridiculous. But yet, if I say it's ridiculous, I'm disrespecting Kenny McIntosh. I'm not disrespecting him. He's a very good football player. I'm respecting how immensely skilled and lucky you have to be to be a running back in modern college football and be a Heisman finalist. And if you'll remember, the last one who did it was Derrick Henry in 2015. And I had Belchi, who stood in a little bit for producer Jesse today. I had him look up Henry's stats. Henry ran the ball nearly 400 times that year, 5.6 yards per carry, uh, over 2,200 yards, 28 touchdowns. That's just, you're not going to do that. And that's, that's kind of the standard. That's what you're going to have to be doing to be a running back and be in the Heisman conversation. Kenny McIntosh had a good year. He was, he was banged up a little bit, but he, he had 829 rushing yards, 10 touchdowns. He was, oh, where is it? Uh, 5.6 yards per carry. So that's a good average, but it's just, it's not even close. It's not even close. And I don't even like that phrase, but in this case, it wasn't even close. Uh, By the way, general advice here. When you're making bold predictions, don't say you're going to die on the hill. Don't, life is precious. Life is precious. You only get one. You're not Gary. You're not producer Jesse's cat. You've got one life to live. Don't die on the hill of predicting a running back who's not going to sniff the Heisman to be a Heisman contender. That concludes this evening's bit of advice. Uh, Last up here, I put an eight on this one, and it hurt my heart, but I had to do it. Mike said, Iowa State will win nine games and reach the Big 12 championship game in a rugged Big 12 season. Mike, it was rugged, and never more so than for the Iowa State Cyclones. They went one and eight in Big 12 play. And I saw every one of them. They were 4-8 and eight overall. But they did beat Iowa, having scored only 10 points in the process. So there's that. Their margins of loss this year, 7 points, 3 points, 1 point, 3 points, 14, 6, 4, 48. Can you tell where they play TCU? So there are 6 losses on here by a combined 24 points. I had stats and info. Run the numbers. And that is an average over those six games of four points per loss or losing by four points per game, I guess. Um, This hurt me because I blindly am loyal to Iowa State. I almost abstain from predicting records for them because I just told you I'm biased. You can't trust me on Iowa State. I predicted them to go to the playoff two years ago. You can't trust me on them. Even today, I'm telling you, don't trust me when I talk about Iowa State. Respect me, but don't trust me when I talk about Iowa State. So yeah, that one, that one crashed and burned. <laughs> no, I mean, the prediction was they're going to win nine games in conference, and they won one. Yeah, that's not going to happen. That's tough. We had a good show tonight. We went over an hour. We're back live. We're on our normal rotation now. The, the evil NFL is out of the way, and so we will, we will not be tripped up again. So we'll be back Sunday night. Remember, the Late Kick Extra podcast is just sitting there in the podcast feed. And don't worry. It's evergreen. It's what we call evergreen. And that means if you don't listen to it right away, 
If you want to wait until Friday or Saturday to listen to it, it's still just as good. Still just as good. In fact, I've been looking at our traffic on the YouTube channel and in the podcast feed. Some of you have taken to just going back and finding old shows to watch. I kid you not. Colin, remember when we did that show owners association meeting? We were, out the, we were at the old studio down in Brentwood. So we've been here for a long time. We were down at the old studio in Brentwood. And uh, it was when we had first started out. It was, I think, in the middle of COVID too. So we we're just trying to come up with ideas. And Director Colin and I went in the studio. And we, we had like a little raffle amongst the audience. And we took, I think, 20 or so of you. And we had this massive Zoom call. And it was just you talking to me. And one by one, you offered up questions. And we recorded it. We put it on the YouTube channel. So that's like two and a half years ago. That video over the past three months has gotten more views than it had in the first two years of its existence. And I can't explain it. Cole Kubelik sent me a screenshot yesterday. He was watching it. So I don't know what Google's doing algorithmically to that video, but a lot of you have been watching it. Um, good. It, I, show like this depends on repeat business, so we appreciate you guys. Uh, we're out of here because we have ping pong to play. Really pressing matters to attend to. So until Sunday night, for Director Colin, for just an entire team of producers here that put the show together tonight, I'm Josh Pate. Take care, have a great start to your weekend, and God bless.